0: everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about strange things that happen in history. I'm Amelia Edwards and with me as ever is my co-host Barnaby King.
1: Hello, I'm dying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> ah, it's hit that time of year again, the heat is on uh, and Barnaby is melting. I hate it so much. Yes, yes. <laughs> Oh, send help. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll try and distract you today.
1: Yeah, that's a good idea.
0: Uh, We'll distract you by talking about the fact that from Monday... Um, Mm -hmm. we'll be able to go to a pub without wearing a mask or being muzzled by the authorities.
1: Uh, Yeah, what a great idea.
0: (laughs) So, I felt that since we live in a town that is very famous for its pubs, Mm -hmm. um, Norwich has got a church for every Sunday and a pub for every day of the week.
1: Hooray! You
0: can go, there used to be 600 pubs in the 1800s. Whoa. And now I think we're down to a About 300, maybe less, but hey-ho. Oh, my God. I know. That's too few pubs. I know. We need to start opening (laughs) some more up. Well, I'm going to talk about a bit of an older one. Okay. And we've been having a little bit of a tour around Norwich because it's the summer holidays and I'm finally free from teaching the young'uns. Indeed,
1: you've dyed your hair blue.
0: I have dyed my hair blue. It looks very nice. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So one of the pubs that we frequently walk past but have never visited is the Wildman Pub. Hmm. And the Wildman Pub, the reason we've never visited it, I think, is because it's kind of a sports pub.
1: Yeah, that's not really our scene. (laughs)
0: It's not, but now that we've finally converted you over to the ways of football, maybe. Yes, I did
1: indeed watch the Euros final and enjoyed it, Yeah, surprisingly. (laughs) It
0: was a good football.
1: But they're just such nice young men.
0: They are such nice young men. Yeah. I hope they haven't done anything dreadful by the time this podcast comes out, but I, I don't think they I would. I don't have done. think they would have done. No, they're just charming.
1: They're just so lovely.
0: <laughs> okay, so on the Wildman pub. Yeah. There's a big old sign that they've painted that says The Wildman Pub. And then underneath that, in smaller writing, it says Peter the Wild Boy [1713 to 1786] mysteriously turned up in Norwich. Oh, okay. Uh, did you, have you spotted this
1: i haven't actually no <laughs> <laughs> uh, under the sign
0: yeah so what a
1: ridiculous place to put some information it's
0: um so you know that sometimes buildings have got that kind of crossbar type yeah effect with um with the sort of wooden thing yeah. that sort of sticks out at the end um it, that's where it that's is That's where it is yeah wow
1: Okay, again... It does again, have
0: a big blue plaque next to it. Well,
1: that makes more sense, but I was just thinking that it is still a very odd thing. I'm just imagining now you get like a series of buildings with them all running together and you just walk along and read a book. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that sounds quite cool.
0: The, anyway... That could be an
1: art project.
0: <laughs> so the big blue plaque only went up in 2013. Oh. Um, but I think the writing's always been... Or it's been there for a long time. Right. And... It's always made me a little bit fascinated just mm-hmm. because I like the phrase mysteriously turned up. Yeah. It doesn't explain who Peter the Wild Boy is, <laughs> how he mysteriously turned up, what that means, like nothing.
1: You've got to love a good historical mystery.
0: Oh yes, and this is a historical mystery. Oh,
1: I'm going to settle into these sweaty, sweaty clothes and listen. Fabulous.
0: All right, so I'm going to take you back to... The early Georgian period, around the time of George II.
1: Well, how do No, nope,
0: not that. We're kind of in Georgian. the Georgian period. No. <laughs> Community's <laughs> already done that joke. <laughs> I
1: know, but it's a good joke.
0: <laughs> it is. So, on the evening of the 22nd of October in 1751, a fire broke out in the parish of St Andrews in Norwich. Oh, no. And the prisoners as a result of this were released from the bridewell because the bridewell was set on fire mm. so the bridewell is like seven steps down the hill from where the wild yeah. man pub is Yeah. Um, and it's got some fine flint work on it i would say
1: (laughs) so we have mentioned bridewells before uh do you want to do just a little brief reminder for people
0: sure so a bridewell was a house of correction it's where you put basically anyone who's broken like mild laws seems to be loitering seems to be homeless Mm. you just shove them in the bridewell
1: yeah basically the undesirables yeah
0: effectively that it's Not so great.
1: Well, no. Well, no. But I guess better than putting them in full-on prison.
0: Yeah, and in some ways, apparently slightly better than the workhouses, which at this point were starting to get... Like, they were starting out. They They hadn't got to the Workhouse Act of 1840 yet. Right. But the workhouse apparently did exist. Okay. Um, So... The prisoners were released from the Bridewell because they obviously didn't want people to actually die. Um, And so imagine the scene. You've got all these people with all their businesses running around trying to make sure the fire's out, trying to deal with these prisoners who are suddenly everywhere. Yeah. And one of these people is very odd and very interesting, and he starts to create a small crowd. Okay. Um, This is because he looks extraordinary. He is He's got
1: 12 arms.
0: He's, he's 14 <laughs>
1: feet high, rippling muscles. Sorry.
0: <laughs> well, he is excessively hirsute.
1: Oh, okay. And he's
0: very very strong. Ah. And <laughs>
1: he's actually just a gorilla.
0: Well, people <laughs> thought he was an orangutan.
1: Ah, right.
0: So, um, he he made strange noises, but he didn't speak. He ooked. Apparently so, yes. Oh, really? I don't know. Something similar. He used to be able to hum, I think.
1: Ah, interesting.
0: So people were like, what the hell is up with this guy? Yeah. He's literally just been in prison in the bridewell and no one had made any inquiries about that. Hmm. Because earlier on that month, I think, they had found this guy loitering and went into the bridewell he goes. Yeah. And he's just this extraordinary person.
1: (laughs) We don't know what to do. There's an orangutan on the loose. Lock it up.
0: Yep. <laughs> this is the good thing about the Bridewell. You don't need to ask questions. Yeah. But because now all the public are asking questions because he's just around and about during this fire, and mm. um, they lead to a proper public inquiry, and somebody gets hold of a copy of the London Evening Post. Okay. And there was an advert in it right. which said, "Lost or strayed away from Broadway in the parish of North Church near Barkhamstead in the county of Hertford." About three months ago, Peter, the wild youth, a black hairy man, about five feet eight inches tall, um, he cannot speak to be understood, but makes a kind of humming noise, and answers in in that manner to the name of Peter. Whoever will bring him to Mr Thomas Fenn's at the place above said, shall receive all reasonable charges and a handsome gratuity.
1: He... sorry, from Broadway? And he hums.
0: I know. Is
1: he actually a breakout musical star?
0: Uh, If only. Broadway was the name of a farm. Oh,
1: okay. (laughs) I don't know why it's called Broadway. (laughs) They put on some fantastic productions in the barn there. Mm -hmm.
0: Once again, we've got one of these weird things where it's like, oh, he gets described as black. Yeah. I've seen a painting of him. I've seen two paintings of him, actually. Oh, okay. He's definitely not black. I think it means tanned.
1: Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm imagining right here that Peter is a feral child who has grown
0: up. You're absolutely right. Right, yeah. Peter is a feral child who's grown up. Um, and he was being looked after in this place in Hartford, which, by the way, it... According to Google, it takes about two days to walk from where he was to Norwich. Bloody hell. So he's managed pretty well. Well, I mean,
1: there is still the possibility that he is an orangutan. So maybe <laughs> we know that there were a, that. Um... Uh, even, what, a couple of hundred years ago, mm-hmm. there were a lot more trees. Yeah. So maybe he just sort of swung from branch to branch, which is a lot faster than walking.
0: That's very true. Okay, I'll give you a little bit of his backstory. Yeah. Because the thing is that he wasn't originally from Barkhamsted either. Right. He was originally found in the forests around Hamlin.
1: Oh, as in the Pied Piper? Of the
0: Pied Piper of Hamlin fame in 1725. Right. And he was found naked except for a collar around his neck. like The rest of his clothes had been torn off over time.
1: Oh, I thought you meant like a pet collar. No, no, no. I thought this is an escaped orangutan.
0: (laughs) No. um, He actually does get a collar later on in the story. (laughs) Um, But... But we'll talk about that one when we get right. there. So he was found... He was naked and he used to move around on all fours, preferring that to yeah. just walking. Um, and no one really knows exactly how he ended up in the woods. Mm. There were a load of sensationalist stories when he was first sort of captured. Yeah. Where they suggested he had been raised by boars or bears or wolves. Yeah. But the thing was none of those things were in the forests in Germany at the time. Right. So... <laughs> It's more he likely- was raised by
1: weasels. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's more likely, although much sadder, that he was just abandoned yeah. by his family. Apparently there were a lot of prisoners working on the walls of Hamelin at the time. Right. And yeah, it's... Quite likely that he was part of a poor family that just couldn't deal with him. So he got abandoned. But he managed to thrive in the woods.
1: Yeah, I mean, I actually... I know a fair bit about feral children. Mm. Because we did a whole module on them uh, for uh, for my degree in developmental psychology. Because they are surprisingly useful for psychologists. Yes. um, Because you basically... They're living examples of the kind of deprivation that you can't, you just can't mm. do in an experiment.
0: Yeah, they just won't let you these days. It's no, such a shame. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, the uh, the walking on all fours thing is uh, surprisingly common. Is it? Yeah, uh, one of the most famous cases of feral children uh, was a girl called Jeannie. Mm. Well, she's referred to as Genie, and um, she. I'm not going to talk about what happened to her because it's genuinely horrible but she couldn't walk properly and i think for i i don't know what she's up to these days if she's still alive but Mm. she used to have this sort of like hunched over almost like crab-like walk okay um just because she never developed the ability to walk you know upright properly yeah yeah
0: interesting Mm. okay so um basically the deal with Hamlin is that it's part of the electorate of hanover Right. And George the 1st was a Hanoverian.
1: Ah. So
0: he was on a visit back home and hunting trips and things like that and he heard about Peter. Right. And he was like that sounds fascinating. Mm. Let's go see him. Um and So his daughter-in-law, who was Caroline of Ansbach, um, also took a great interest in Peter and what was going to happen to him. Yeah. So she ordered that he should be brought to Britain in 1726. Right. So like the year after he'd been captured out of the forest. And he was the subject of a massive craze because he arrived in London during the Enlightenment.
1: Ah, right.
0: And this meant that a lot of different thinkers could speculate about what it means to be human. Mm. So, while psychologists today can see what deprivation does to a person, yeah. they these people were just starting to get out of the clutches of, like, the traditional church thinking. Yeah. And they were wondering, if Peter can't speak, does mm. he have a soul? Oh, And if he does have a... or, like, and if he doesn't have a soul what do we have that has given us a soul or do we have souls at all right so you can go quite deep with peter as this example damn yeah right
1: (laughs) oh that's uh yeah that that's a lot deeper than i was expecting yeah
0: Um so also uh, either Jonathan Swift or his friend John Arbuthnot wrote a satire about the fascination with him right. which has the best the most sarcastic name ever that I love. Yeah. It was called The Most Wonderful Wonder that has ever appeared to the wonder of the British nation.
1: <laughs> wow. I know. That is that is some hefty sarcasm right there. Oh yes. Okay. Uh, what what did they think? Like, did they have a point to make?
0: I think that the whole point was just that the the fascination and speculation about him was a bit silly, right? And it was about the idea that crowds getting fascinated by something is, you know, really kind of banal, right? Okay. Um. But Daniel Defoe used him in his pamphlet, which is called *Mere Nature Delineated*. Right. Or, to give it its full title, Mere Nature Delineated, or A Body Without a Soul, being observations upon the young forester lately brought to town from Germany, with suitable applications. Also, a brief dissertation upon the usefulness and necessity of fools, whether political or natural.
1: He went to the same school of naming that Darwin did. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Because that, almost immediately I thought of like the full title of uh, The Origin of Species. What is
0: the full title of The Origin of Species? I'll
1: have to get it up. It is On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favoured Races in the Struggle for Life.
0: Amazing.
1: Yeah. Doesn't really roll off the tongue.
0: It doesn't. But talking about evolution. Yeah. uh, Lord Monboddo who was an early scholar of linguistic evolution. Right. Like, basically, he spent a lot of time looking at different tribespeople and the way that they spoke. And he was one of the first people to go, this isn't just random gibberish. What this is, is they're using a lot of different vowels because they have a need for safety. Okay. And he reckoned that... So he reckoned that, basically... Languages that use a lot of different vowels in one word need to be really clear about whatever a danger is or whatever an opportunity is.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
0: And he said that Germanic and like English languages have a vowel shortage because we don't have that necessity for clarity anymore.
1: Ah, Which is really cool.
0: He seems like an interesting guy.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, the vowels are very much delineated, whereas the consonants, you can mistake one for another quite easily. Mm.
0: And then Lord Monboddo took this one step further and went, you know what, I've looked at all these different languages and I can see where they've all come from, like, over time. Right. So I think that the whole of humanity originally started off in one place. Place. Right, and he was the first person to come up with this
1: oh, on okay. the basis of
0: linguistics. Yeah, um, so the sort of the idea that we all evolved in Africa. Yeah, he was the first person to think maybe we all evolved in one particular place, oh, and this that's was cool. before Darwin. Yeah, so he had a look at Peter. And was like that's brilliant because that he works as an example to demonstrate my ideas on the evolution of humanity yeah because you can see how if a human is left without humanity like around them how they devolve almost
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense
0: so yeah lots of people basically used him as an example Mm. for loads and loads of different things which really shows that feral children have always been kind of a useful a useful tool for all kinds of reasons yeah
1: well it's um when it comes to feral children the way that they tend to behave is so different mm. from how we see other people behaving that there's just a lot to look at really and a yeah. lot you can kind of uh draw from make conclusions from and obviously now it's it's more about as i said sort of development and uh at looking at the brain as exactly what this deprivation does or, like, how how important it is to uh, learn language early, for one thing, for example. Because yeah. I'm imagining... So you, you said we've kind of got a birthday or a birth year for yeah. Peter. I'm imagining it's a guess. It is a guess. Yeah. So they
0: reckoned that when he was brought to the UK, he was about 12.
1: Yeah, okay. To be honest, if he's 12... Don't think that's entirely too late for him to be taught language. Mm but clearly no one really had an interest in doing
0: that no they tried to teach him <laughs> oh, language did they yes
1: what well, at the age of 12 yeah oh fascinating okay. so I'll, I'll
0: tell you about this in a little bit yeah um, before this they, they tried bringing him out in court basically to be I guess one of the last court fools oh I um, see I think that this was more or less the idea because you know he was such a sensation yeah and I suppose it's kind of entertaining to have people around you who act in really different ways yeah like it's kind of grim
1: Mm, well yes
0: Um, so during his first appearance at court he apparently played with a glove of Caroline's the Princess of Wales he grew fascinated by a pocket watch and was as usual with him attempted some mild (laughs) pickpocketing okay Um, he also apparently seized the Lord Chamberlain's staff and put his hat on before the king which was in breach of all civilised decorum
1: (laughs) that's great
0: yeah And also, there was a waxwork made of him and Ah. displayed on the Strand, which seems to be a popular thing to do if somebody becomes a sensation.
1: Yeah. Okay. Does that still exist? Do we have like a copy of it or anything?
0: It doesn't, but Ah. there was a painting made of him that's still on display. Right. Or rather, a painting made of the court in general that included him. Right. So here he is for you.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
0: It is.
1: Okay, so in this uh, painting, they've dressed him up. Yeah. So he's not just wearing a collar anymore. Yeah. He appears to have lipstick on
0: apparently that's what his mouth just looks like and we'll talk about that in a oh, bit
1: oh interesting he definitely like he looks unusual
0: yeah he's got a cupid bow mouth yeah and his um, his chin kind of juts forward mm. a little bit more than you'd expect yeah and he's, he's got also this- got big curly hair yes yeah,
1: it's this great cloud of curly hair yeah. on his head it's almost like an afro. Like,
0: the fact that he's her was mentioned already yeah. when we talked about him being discovered. Yeah. And I think it was mentioned in the advert looking for him that, yes. like, he is a very hairy person. <laughs> <laughs> and he, obviously he's not in the picture of him because that's from when he's about 12. So. Yeah. So John Ar- Arbuthnot was a medical doctor as well as mm-hmm. being a satirist. Um, and he was made into his guardian. <laughs> satirical doctor.
1: God, you don't want to go to him. <laughs> okay,
0: so John Arbuthnot was part of a group of friends with um, Jonathan Swift and Daniel Defoe. Yeah. And apparently he was one of like the funniest out of them, but he didn't oh. want to be made famous for that.
1: Oh, no. He
0: invented the character John Bull, which I didn't oh, know until really? I looked him up. Yeah. Oh, wow. So he's like this really subtle guy who apparently makes all the best jokes that other people then steal and publish. Yeah. Um, and he's also a medical doctor and comes up with like long lasting figures. Wow. Frankly, he's fascinating and yeah. I might make a private, uh, like a separate episode on him.
1: Yeah. Oh, you, I, I, you kind of wish that he'd written something. <laughs> he
0: has written some things. Oh, okay. Just not nearly as much as Swift for instance. Right. Yeah. But Swift's written loads of stuff. Well, yes. Um, so he was made his guardian, and he tried to teach him how to speak, how to read, and how to write. None of those things took. Oh, interesting. But they were—they were genuinely trying. Yeah. Um. So apparently, like in the interest of trying to make him into a kind of court fool, I guess, hmm. um, the king invited him to dine, but. Was too horrified by his lack of table manners. He couldn't cope. Oh, God. Um, And every day, the courtiers would wrestle him into his green velvet suit that he's wearing, which he didn't want to wear.
1: No, I mean, for one thing, it looks uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And also, every evening, they'd try to persuade him to get into beds. Right. But he wanted to curl up on the floor in the corner of the room. He didn't want to sleep in a bed.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: and as a result of this, his novelty kind of waned, and so the court paid for him to retire to his farm in Hertfordshire. You can't... You can't
1: this does annoy me. It's like, you are... You've got Peter the Wild Boy. yes. Why are you expecting him to, like, do all these things? Like, surely you've got to expect that he's not normal.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I think that it's this sort of combination of, like, the Georgians being so particular Mm. about how people should behave Yeah, that if they're going to have people around them, they want them to sort of fit in, even if the reason they're interesting is because they don't. (laughs) Like, it's really harsh. It makes no sense. It doesn't.
1: ah here's the wild boy let's dress him up and make him look like the rest of
0: us Mm -hmm. it's bizarre (laughs) it's very strange now Lucy Worsley who is famous for being on the BBC she's the she's the blonde lady with the bob who often talks very enthusiastically about the lives of people yeah um I love her um (laughs) she apparently did a documentary that included talking about Peter the wild boy oh right um Back in, I think, 2011. And she suggested that Peter might have a rare genetic condition. Okay. On top of being a feral child. Right. So this condition is called Pitt-Hopkins syndrome. Yeah. And it was only identified in 1978. Mm. And this is indicated by the fact that he has, he's quite short. Yeah. He has got his thick curly hair. Yeah. He's got hooded eyelids. Yeah. He's got his Cupid bow mouth with the pronounced curve to the upper lip. Mm-hmm. The fact that he didn't like wearing clothes and also that some of his fingers were fused. Oh. Right?
1: Oh, wow. And bearing yeah, the lead on that one. I know.
0: I didn't know about this until I read the Lucy Worsley's analysis. So, apparently, if you have Pitt-Hopkins syndrome, then it's basically you have severe learning difficulties mm. and developmental difficulties and the inability to develop speech
1: right,
0: which might explain why Arbuthnot gave up on trying yeah. to teach him how to speak because he just couldn't,
1: yeah, because like twelve is, I think, like it's still possible. It's getting up to the upper threshold, but yeah, it, like, In normal circumstances, a feral child of 12 should be able to learn how to speak at least a little.
0: Well, it's also, you've got to consider that when he was discovered in the forest, he still had his collar on. Yeah. So he probably hadn't been a feral child for... Ages and ages, like at most a couple of years, which is still a long time to be away from humanity. And
1: especially during like a developmental
0: period. But it also, if you got got dumped at the age of nine, you'd assume that you would still have some memory of how to speak. Yeah. But instead, it kind of suggests to me that he must have been abandoned in the woods because he couldn't talk and because he had this syndrome to begin with, which is really bloody tragic, actually. It is horrible,
1: yeah, but... Not unexpected, given no. the era.
0: Now, the thing is that at this point, we might kind of expect things to go really bad for Peter because he's had this moment of being a court sensation yeah. and he didn't live up to what they wanted. But the thing is that it seems like, on the whole, he had an okay life and he was looked after. Oh, okay. So after he was discharged from the supervision of Dr. Arbuthnot, um, one of the Queen's bedchamber women... Called Mrs. Tichborne, took over looking after him. Yeah. And apparently, she basically used to go um, on holiday every year to a friend, Mr. James Fenn, who was a yeoman farmer in Northchurch in Hertfordshire. Right. And so she thought maybe it'd be best for Peter to stay there on a farm. Mm. And the court spent. The court paid Mr. Fenn £35 a year for his support and maintenance. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, which I've looked up and apparently it's enough to pay for about a year's worth of a skilled labourer's like, lifestyle.
1: Oh, okay. That's pretty good then. So
0: it's pretty nice. Yeah. So it's also enough to buy five horses in Jordan time. So oh,
1: yeah. Fair enough. So
0: it's a reasonable amount. Um. So he got left there... Um, until Mr. Fenn died oh. and at that point Peter was transferred to the care of James's brother Thomas at Broadway
1: Right. Um,
0: and this was the the point where he went wandering yeah. and ended up in Norwich
1: <laughs> as you do and
0: got arrested for not fitting in and yeah. not being part of anything
1: maybe it's because he used to live with a guy called Fenn oh and true, so <laughs> he, he was just... like we're
0: going to go find the Fenn exactly yeah so when he got returned to um to the farm, they didn't do what I'd kind of expect them to do at this point, which would be to tie him up or something. Right. And um, what they did instead was they went, "You know what? When the wind blows in a particular way, he just wanders." <laughs> so what- <laughs> so what they did was they made him a brass and leather collar. Oh, which had his name and address on. Oh my
1: god, like a dog.
0: Like a dog. <laughs> Um, but so that whenever anyone found him, then he could easily yeah. be returned instead of getting put into a bridewell. bridewell again. Yeah.
1: Okay, so, I mean...
0: It's not great. It's not great. It is a
1: solution. <laughs> but yeah. It does it does sort of, you know, dehumanise him quite significantly.
0: This is the thing. Like, on the one hand, definitely dehumanises him. On the other, I kind of wonder whether it's a better thing to do than just locking him up, which yeah, would be the probably. alternative. And it's kind of interesting that they didn't just go, you know what, we're getting paid £35 a year for him, let's just stick him in a cellar somewhere. Yeah. Which I could imagine people doing. I
1: Absolutely. Like, when you first said that, that was my first thought was going to be like, you know, you're just going to buy those five horses yeah. and leave him in a ditch somewhere. I mean... Yeah.
0: But apparently these people were reasonable and no, they went... He's going to wander. We want a way to get him back. We know collars don't come off him. Yes, that's true. <laughs> like, that's the one thing we know. <laughs> because he doesn't like clothes much. Yeah. But he'll wear a collar, so...
1: Yeah, I guess really given the era, it's a pretty good solution.
0: It's, it seems okay, yeah. like, for the time. Um, so apparently he was pretty well looked after for the rest of his life. He lived to be 70. That's, yeah, that's pretty
1: good. Not completely unsurprising. Uh, A lot of feral children, I believe, do still, you know, then they don't have shortened life expectancies. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, he lived till he was 70, um... He got visited by a Scottish philosopher and judge called James Burnett in 1782. Right. And was said to have a healthy complexion with a full white beard. And they reckoned as well that he knew what people were saying to him, but he just couldn't respond. Um, Apparently he had learned a few words Mm. by the time he was in his 70s. Um, He had learned the words Peter. Yeah. And he'd learned St. George. uh, Sorry, not St. George, King George. Ah, right. And he also could hum a few songs. Ah, So, um, here is a picture of him from Caulfield's Portraits of Remarkable Persons. Oh,
1: wow. He looks exceedingly normal in that portrait. Very
0: much so. I think the beard helps. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah. Oh, what a fine gentleman he looks like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So, you know, he's just a nice old man by this point who just can't speak.
1: Yeah, fair Um, enough.
0: When he died, he was buried in the local graveyard and you can still go and see his tombstone. Um, It's been made into, I think, a grade two listed artifact.
1: Right. And it can
0: never be touched. And apparently ever since he died... The local people have come and put flowers on his grave so it's always got a small bouquet of flowers on oh, it. Oh, that's nice. This is a this is his grave.
1: Oh, oh, that's pretty cool that.
0: It's very cute.
1: This is this is such a lovely story, really. I mean, <laughs> in it, many ways, I
0: think it's the best it could have turned out. Yeah. Um
1: it could definitely have been a lot worse.
0: It could have been a lot worse, and that's why I'm going to tell you a worse version of why the Wild Man is called that. Oh. Because from at the beginning of this podcast, I told you about the Wild Man pub and the fact they mentioned Peter the Wild Boy. Right. It might not be named after Peter the Wild Boy. Oh, okay. It might be named after a different Wild Boy.
1: Right. Okay,
0: so I've mentioned that it was close to the Bridewell. Yeah. And apparently back in the 1800s... If the Bridewell overfilled, they would put prisoners in the cellar of the wild man pub. Right. And according to legend, now this is just legend. Yeah. According to legend, there was a 16-year-old boy who'd been arrested and put into the cellar of the Wildman pub for stealing his master's handkerchief. Right. And in his anger and wildness, for you see, he was a wild boy, Right. Um, in his anger and wildness, he set fire to the doors of his cell, burning himself to death. Oh, God. And his ghost still haunts the wild man <laughs> to this day. Apparently, there are cold spots as right. a result of his presence, Ooh. and the beer barrels move around of their own accord.
1: Okay. Cold spots? Yeah. Yes. I'm here for that today.
0: Okay. So, pub then?
1: Yeah, I think so. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of That Time When. You can
1: follow us on Twitter at ThatTimeWhen4, and if you have any suggestions for episodes, you can email them to us at ttwpod at gmail.com.
0: Thank you, as always, to Kevin MacLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby has used in this podcast.
1: And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and collar your wild children.
0: (laughs) Goodbye.